Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder, you can catch all our episodes free of charge on iTunes. Just search for Deal of the Week or on Bloomberg.com backslash audio. In just a few minutes, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist Max Neeson, who covers biotech, pharmaceuticals, and healthcare for our opinion vertical, will join us on a column he wrote this week about how Valiant probably isn't going to be bought, despite a Wall Street Journal article last week saying that Japanese pharma company Takeda and private equity giant TPG approached the company about a month or so ago. He'll explain why Valiant, one of activist investor Bill Ackman's biggest mistakes, probably won't be bought. But first... It's time for this week's What's the Big Deal? And I'm very excited to discuss a deal in a sector we haven't really talked about in the history of this podcast. Utilities. What could be more exciting than utilities? Well, Bloomberg m and reporter Matt Monks is here to explain why we should care about utilities. And in this case, an $8.6 billion deal, Great Plains agrees to buy Weststar Energy. Hi, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. So, for those not familiar in the world of Midwest utility companies, what do Great Plains Energy and Weststar do exactly? They are electric uh, power companies. Uh, in industry jargon, they are called regulated utilities. And what that means is it means two different things. It means they control the flow of electricity from the power plant all the way to the meter. It also means that they uh, negotiate uh, the rates that they can charge customers with their local utility commission. And so, what was the mindset with these two particular companies coming together? Well, you have to put this in the broader context of what's been going on with utilities M&A for the last 12 months or so. Uh, long story short, there has been a lot of deal-making going on for a great variety of reasons. But one of the uh, results of this deal-making is, is that utilities are selling at for really, really awesome prices. Uh, Weststar is the latest utility to bring itself to market in this whole wave, and they put themselves up for sale, essentially, to test whether they could sell at a good price like everybody else has been doing. Awesome Prices meaning high prices, awesome for the seller. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and uh, these companies, their neighbors in Kansas City and Missouri, Weststar, the parent of we- the, the predecessor Weststar, you know, tried to merge with the, the predecessor of Kansas City or uh, Great Plains like 20 years ago. Uh, they already jointly operate some power plants together. They know each other really well. When I took over the utilities M and A beat, these were uh, two companies on my list that it was obvious that they may get together someday. And so, why are they selling for awesome prices? What makes uh, this a good time to be a seller, uh, you know, in the relative history of utilities. I'm trying to figure that out myself. To tell you the truth, uh, M&A in utilities is really, really hot. Why is it really, really hot right now? Uh, it, it comes down to two things basically. Uh, power electricity demand has flattened out. Um, interest rates are low. Uh, the, the the flattening of demand means that very big utilities have to do things to grow. Uh, one of their favorite ways to grow is to buy uh, smaller utilities that uh, are regulated like these guys or that you know distribute natural gas. Uh, the low interest rates means that they can raise financing to buy stuff. If you look at this deal today, you know they're funding it fifty uh, percent equity, fifty percent debt. So as long as electricity demand remains flat and these guys can, you know, raise financing at favorable rates, we're going to keep seeing deals happen. And I would imagine another reason I would think would have to do with sort of the market dynamics. In other words, a utility company. Certainly, I can remember when I was a kid talking to my grandfather, who would tell me that he used to plow all his money into utilities because they they were really low risk investments and they paid a very good dividend. So, with interest rates being so low, these utility companies would seem like a appealing alternative to a low risk 
uh, asset investor, and maybe that has driven up the price of utilities just from a baseline perspective. So now when they sell, they're, they go for even higher. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a fair way to think about it. Uh, the past uh, few years, investors have plowed a lot of money into the sector, well, into certain segments of the sector, like that are regulated guys. Um, uh, so there's a sense of uh, some of this is, you know, these companies taking the chips off the table because they're not going to do any better than this. So you mentioned that when you first took over the beat, these two companies were sort of on your list as as potential to merge. Have we gotten any signs more recently that that this deal was likely? Uh, Weststar's been informally for sale since like November, uh, and then you know we broke that they uh, formally put themselves on the block back in March. Uh, this deal that was down to Ameren, which is a, another company in Missouri, and it was a Great Plains Ameren fell out sometime in the last week because they couldn't get their own price. And Great Plains is basically you know buying a larger company uh, by raising the debt financing to do it. Um, and they, they just kind of won out in the end. So uh, is it is it a surprise that the, 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 this deal is coming together? Not quite. I'm a little surprised because it's buying a bigger company. But these companies, it makes a lot of sense to put them together. Uh, so is that is this, is this idea of a smaller company buying a bigger company sort of on par for the course in this industry, or is it still unusual? It's a little strange, but I go back to what I was saying before about the favorable financing conditions. It can happen right now because uh, utilities tend to be stable; uh, they're highly regulated. Uh, people are feel comfortable lending against them. Uh, so therefore, in this instance, you have I almost kind of think about it like a leveraged buyout. Um, you know, it's, this company is raising eight billion dollars from Goldman Sachs. It's raising another seven hundred million. From um, Omer's, the Ontario, uh, uh, I mean, a Canadian pension fund, and it's basically bootstrapping this other company. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, Charter buying Time Warner Cable, which is, in, and Cable actually is very similar to the utility industry. You might think of Cable as just cable TV, you know, HBO or whatever, but but the distributors themselves, uh, you know, those that are sort of laying down cable, very similar to laying down an energy grid. It's part of the reason why both of these industries, power industries and cable industries, are so hated because you rely on these things and yet the service is not very good because in part they sort of they, they tend to have monopoly uh, uh, operational districting because it's not particularly cost effective to have a bunch of different power grids in the same area. And what happens then? Well, then the consumer service, customer service goes down. Uh, so we saw Charter, a much smaller company, buy Time Warner Cable and ratchet it up with debt. Uh, very similar, really, to what you're explaining here, uh, where a smaller company buys a larger company and then it sort of looks like a leveraged buyout, except it's two public companies. Yeah, that's I I agree with that. Um, and on another point, it's like, like you said, and when we started this whole uh, show today, you haven't talked a lot about utilities and but there's been a lot of it, and there's going to continue to be a lot of it. It's really booming. When I took over this beat three years ago from uh, my predecessor, he's like, ah, you don't really have to worry about utilities. You know, there's like one or two deals every year, and it's really been booming. And you know, we've been lucky to uh, be on top of it with our coverage, but it's going to continue to be hot. Um, and it's very, very surprising to tell you the truth. One of the interesting things I thought was that. In the in the companies in the great the Great Plains CEO cited in the company's statement about the deal that the industry is facing emerging cybersecurity threats. Uh, and, and I was just looking at an article uh, written on CNN. This was late 2014, December 29th, 2014. But in that year, hackers attacked the U.S. energy grid 79 times in a year. So I read that and I thought cybersecurity and and utility companies. What is that? But uh, apparently, this is a big deal right now, where hackers uh, are looking to break into a bunch of the different energy companies 
out there to take over the grid. And, and, you know, that, I guess, sort of seems obvious that there would be some major disruptive factors if you're able to do that. It, and it's not just uh, uh, the threat of hackers that is hurting utilities. It's just technological changes in general. You know, uh, one of the reasons they're experiencing soft power demand is because, uh, you know, people are more energy efficient products, uh, uh, more reliance on renewable sources of energy. These companies are getting killed in a lot of ways by technological changes. And their answer to dealing with that is to scale up. And that's what's happening right here. And it's real money. I mean, this is big money. These are multi, multi billion dollar companies. So, uh, yeah, it's an $8 billion deal. And I, and I think by the end of the year, I mean, you could see one or two, uh, you know, mega utility deals. Any names we should be focused on in particular? Um, PP&L, AEP, Sempra, Pinnacle West, um, Ameren, which was in the mix for here. Any one of these guys can get bought. And one of the reasons we might see that is the, the, the auction processes for uh, these companies that are in the size range, the 5 to $10 billion, are so competitive. The price that was paid here was so high that uh, any what was the multiple that was paid uh, i think it was two times book um and then you saw some of these previous deals were going uh you know uh, the two prior deals were like two to three times book which is really rich um the, the point that i was trying to make is that um if you want to get a better deal you're gonna have to go up the food chain and buy something bigger because there's gonna be less competition for it and so it's kind of like buying in bulk i guess uh, you're gonna get a better price if you buy something bigger and i think that's what's gonna have to happen here for some of these guys that are, have been you know runners up in these auction processes bloomberg m a reporter matt monks joining us frequent contributor to the show about the world of utilities thanks matt thanks a lot Okay, let's bring in Gadfly columnist Max Neeson, who takes a great look at Valiant, the multinational pharmaceutical company that's really been in news headlines for several years now, from Bill Ackman's investment in the company to a failed bid to acquire Allergan, to buying Salix Pharmaceuticals for about $15 billion, and this year for disclosing it's under investigation by the SEC. Hey, Max. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's uh, sort of get into the most uh, topical news. Last week, the Wall Street Journal added some new news to the pot that I just uh, threw out there. Uh, what exactly did we learn? Uh, we learned that about a month or two back, the TBG, the private equity firm, and Takeda, a Japanese pharmaceutical company, apparently made an offer, uh, or at least kicked the tires of Valiant, uh, looking to acquire the whole company. Uh, this was before the new CEO, Tom Papa, took control. And uh, they apparently rejected the deal without it going to going too far at all, really. And remind us what exactly, just to take a quick step back here, what exactly Valiant is. I mean, I love this line from your column. The company's current set of largely unrelated investment-starved, price-hike-dependent, and underperforming businesses is unlikely to attract much of a premium. So what exactly does Valiant do these days? It's a deeply, deeply strange company. It went on this kind of massive debt-fueled acquisition spree, and the set of businesses that it kind of emerged from the, from that with are are pretty disparate. Uh, it's got a big dermatology franchise. It's got a random cancer vaccine. Uh, it's got gastrointestinal drugs from Salix, um, and a lot of the things that these drugs have in common, uh, maybe with the exception of Salix is that they were bought sort of at a discount because they were uh, not particularly valuable or attractive on their own, and they were often dependent on price hikes. So when you look at Valiant as a whole, if you combine all these things together and stick on the massive debt load, it really just isn't a terrifically attractive business right now. And what specifically is the SEC looking at? 
Um, they're looking at a number of different. I don't know too many details of the investigation itself, but uh, the company has had some accounting troubles accounting uh, related troubles. to yeah specialty pharmacy that it acquired and uh, and booked some revenue uh, in advance of maybe when it should have. So, uh, Valiant stock has taken a big hit this year. I would imagine some of that is because of the investigation, and maybe other is is due to the underperforming businesses you just. Uh, described. Uh, in your column this week, you sort of say that even down more than 70% this year, this company still isn't a viable M&A target. Why? Um, I think in this case, it's not because someone might not want it or chunks of it at you know less than $10 billion where the market cap is right now. The question is whether the major holders, and uh, I'm looking at Bill Ackman here, uh, would, would actually want to sell at that kind of price, considering that they got in when it was a, you know, him in particular, when it was a $60, $90 billion company. Uh, so to sell at even you know double the current, triple the current price, uh, he'd still be losing a whole lot of money. And uh, he's taken such an active role and, and seems invested in the turnaround. I think he'd want to at least uh, get it up a little bit before they'd even consider uh, a deal. I'm looking this up uh, real time here. The market cap now uh, is $9.7 billion for Valiant. So yeah, that is... That is a major, major fall uh, in a short amount of time. So, yes, uh, unless you're really selling distressed, uh, you usually don't have very willing shareholders uh, in situations like that. But on the flip side, why do you think Takeda and TPG wanted to even kick the tires on this? What's the upside for Valiant? Um, the upside was, you know, getting a, what are a couple of still pretty decent assets at uh, at a big discount. I mean, you're looking at Salix, which they bought for fifteen million dollars. If you can get it, the whole thing for ten, you get that. Right, plus they the bought bonus. that just last year, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they haven't, you know, a lot of Valiant assets have probably depreciated. They're kind of known for slashing sales force, slashing R and D, um, you know, slashing basically everything, so they can collect a revenue stream at their lower tax rate and just make a whole bunch of money on it. But a lot of those doors are kind of closed for them now. So uh, Salix didn't depreciate that much. That's attractive. Uh, the other one you can look at is, is Bausch & Loam, uh, still a pretty decent business, even though they've had it for longer. It's uh, less pharmaceutical intensive. It's less R&D intensive. So uh, probably hasn't depreciated that much. So there's still stuff there. The question is uh, whether uh, they'd be willing to part for it for, for any kind of discount. So you mentioned Valiant has a new CEO. Has the new CEO uh, clearly... Uh, outlined a turnaround plan for Valiant? Um, we're, we're still kind of waiting on that a little bit. It hasn't been that long. I think uh, the general sense is that they're just trying to get the house in order, uh, maybe sell off some non-core assets, so not including, say, expression like loan, but um, some of the less attractive, less core assets uh, in order to pay off a little bit of that debt, give them some debt. breathing room. Uh, but in terms of kind of a fully articulated, here's how we're going to do this strategy, uh, don't really have much of that yet. You sort of come to the conclusion then that this Takeda TPG deal is probably uh, a kick the tires thing and then it's not coming back and it's probably highly unlikely that anyone else comes to the table that emerges in an actual deal, correct? That, that's exactly where I've landed. Uh, I just don't see it happening anytime in the near future, uh, both because you know they want to see if, if they can get a turnaround under Papa. They want to see if they can at least make some of what they've lost back. And uh, I just don't think that anyone's going to, they're going to want to look at how the business actually is performing. because that's so hard to tell right now. The company just slashed its guidance uh, back in March. And we're just still trying to figure out where things are going to land, 
with they have a new distribution deal for their drugs, um, you know, how much they're going to lose when they can't jack prices, which has been kind of a, a core part of their strategy. So uh, no one really has a huge sense of what's going on. So I, I think that also might make a deal for the whole thing pretty unlikely. And, and oh, by the way, regulators are looking at your accounting issues. So like that's also typically companies that are being investigated for uh, potential accounting issues are not the most... Uh, uh, likely M&A targets for a number of reasons. Yeah, definitely not. And it's not just the SEC. They're being uh, investigated by a number of uh, uh, states as well. So there's there's a whole lot of poking around going on, and I imagine people might want to see that get resolved. Excellent column. Uh, check it out on Bloomberg Gadfly. Max Neeson, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist. Thanks for joining us on Deal of the Week. Thanks so much for having me. So that's it for this episode of Deal of the Week. Hope you enjoyed that. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are investing and doing deals real time. And until then, find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Also, take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Please, would love to hear what you have to say about the show. And follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Matt Monk's is at MattMonks123, and Max Neeson is at Max Neeson, last name spelled N-I-S-E-N. Plus, Bloomberg's newest podcast is out. It's called Material World, and it's hosted by Bloomberg consumer reporters Jenny Kaplan and Lindsay Rupp, investigating and explaining the businesses behind some of your favorite consumer goods. The first episode is out now. It's on the world of craft, craft beer, craft ice cream, your favorite artisanal goods. Give it a listen at iTunes.com backslash Material World. See you next week.